Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by the Chicago Reader and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Every Friday in the Ben Jarofsky show, Ramana Hussein, editor, columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, my beloved bright one, uh, joins us. Ramana, you're on, are you on the road today somewhere? Are you- yeah, I might be. I'm, I, I'm, you, I'm, I'm in my, at my mom's house. I'm uh, socially distanced in my old bedroom. Uh, I'm waiting for my sister, and then we're going to head out to Old Orchard. So you might see some movement at some point. Okay. You hear some noise. But I'll, I'm going to be stable for, for a few minutes at least. Let's just think about the Hussein sisters going back in time, hanging out at the mall. We all, we, you know what? I love Old Orchard. And we do, we, we actually, it's a normal, it's a normal activity for me and my younger sister. My We're actually going mostly for my older sister who just had a birthday last week. And me and my younger sister are more of the shopaholics and we like, and we end up buying something for them. We end up buying stuff for ourselves, but we haven't gone to the mall that much, but old orchard's like a different mall. Cause it's not indoors. It's kind of an outdoor mall. So I've always liked old orchard and I actually didn't go to the mall that much as a kid. My no, mom my mom wouldn't let me. I'm, I'm trying to uh, picture a, a young Ramana Hussein circa 1987. This is not what I was going to ask you when the, the interview began, but I'm just curious. Like, what would you have been doing oh, on a Saturday I, afternoon back in 1987-88? Afternoon? Maybe not much, but like sometimes in the night or like some some afternoons I'd be with friends hanging out. But I mean, I was a fashion victim, but thank God my mom wouldn't let me get a perm. So I never, I never had a perm, but you know, when I look at pictures, I did have big hair, but it wasn't that bad. I've looked, if you look at my high school yearbook, you'll laugh because you know, some of the pictures that look awkward. I think I, I had braces my freshman year. I still had my braces, but, um, I was less awkward by 87, but still, you know, stuck at, you know, very eighties. Well, at least you don't have to your everlasting embarrassment. Three pictures in the high school yearbook, as I do, uh, a charter member of the White Sox fan club. I oh, can never pretend I was cool because I was in the White Sox. But I love White Sox. Oh, my God. We're going to have another meeting. Well, at least you weren't on the chess club. I did make fun of people in the chess club. And I know we talked about Queen's Gambit. And No, I, I wish I were. Like, I started. I know, I know. Chess club is way cooler than the White Sox fan club. I just got to say, all right. I had a family friend, um, you know, I knew him and he would always make fun of me for, he thought I was dumb, but I really wasn't. And he was always shocked that I'd do better than him on tests. And he was on the chess team. So I'd make fun of him for being on the chess team. 
Uh, well, I wish I were on the chess team. All right, let's do, since you okay. mentioned fashions and perms uh, and hair, <laughs> it's a natural lead into Rudy Giuliani. Oh yeah, I, I opened the show with it. Then we spent about a half an hour talking about <laughs> Michael Joseph Madigan, and now I'm back to Giuliani. Um, let me just say this before uh, we get started: uh, what Giuliani is doing with Donald Trump is a flat out coup. This is me oh. speaking, not mm-hmm. Romana, but what he's doing to try to uh, decertify the vote out of Detroit is such a blatant act of racism, oh, Romana, yeah. in my humble opinion. Uh, it's despicable. Uh, we'll get into how he undercuts his um, his attempts with his just utter buffoonery in a little <laughs> bit. But we just have to start off by saying that trying to just like when you say let's decertify Detroit, you're kind of being specific about oh, what you're up to. Don't of you agree? Of course, of course. It's like Detroit, I mean, whenever there's a politician who brings up Detroit, you know what it's code for, right? Um, you know, quote, you know, whenever people in, you know, in Chicago said, oh, Chicago is going to become like Detroit, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's like, a, I don't even know if it's a dog whistle, but, you know, Detroit, they have like a significant African-American population. It's, it's targeting black people. And it's, it's, it's just, it's just incredible what's happening in the country right now. And, you know, the interesting thing is like Rudy Giuliani was considered this hero after 9-11. And um, I was just talking to my sister and mom about him. And I said, you know, if he just stayed quiet, he still would have gone down in history as a hero. But, you know, the last couple of months, you know, he's just unraveling. And maybe he's always been, I actually was never like, um, I can tell you, I know the Muslim community didn't find him very, um, didn't find him a, a heroic figure past 9-11. So for me, he was never someone that I was like put up but on pedestal, but he was put on this pedestal and he could have stayed there. But, you know, he's kind of, I, I think for a lot of people, he's just fallen down really hard. But for someone like him, he doesn't think he's fallen down. I mean, just with the Barat, Barat film and then, just yesterday and his, you know, whatever that was dripping down his like face. I mean, there were so many memes on Twitter about it, about his, you know, brain leaking about, you know, excrement falling down his face. And so it's just, um, he just kind of become a buffoon for a lot of people. I know for some people, he's still, he's still, you know, there's, there's a group of people or there are probably some people who find him very, still think he's respectable, but I think a lot of people think that he's kind of fallen pretty hard. Well, I don't think anything, how do I put this, um, so uh, illustrates the divide in America uh, between MAGA and the rest of America. If you think that Rudy Giuliani with sprayed on dye, dripping down his sweat-soaked cheeks, uh, is heroic. I mean, if like, if you actually think that's heroic, well, then... <laughs> well, I don't know if they think he's heroic, but you know, just like being on Trump's team, you know, um, it's, you know, they, they just, they, they still think he's a revered figure. Right. I mean, some people will say like, how does anybody think Donald Trump is heroic, but people do think he's heroic, right? There's a group of people who think he's heroic. Yeah. You know what? Let's go back to something before we uh, get to play this bit, uh, a little comic relief before we play this bit. You said about uh, in the aftermath of 9-11, your attitudes about Giuliani uh, as a Muslim American, you, you weren't 
he didn't have the the greatest what you didn't share. Um, I didn't share. Sort of I didn't share the enthusiasm that everybody had for Rudy Giuliani, because um, here I was part of a group that was being vilified and then surveillanced, and then you know I think um, you know obviously nine eleven was a tragedy and what happened was a tragedy. Um, nobody you know nobody thought that was a good thing, but I think a lot of what it happened is I think a lot of people were so angered and saddened that um, they kind of came together and condoned this surveillance and uh, profiling of a certain group of people because of what had happened. I just thought it was a collective, um, you know, for someone being as part of that group, it was kind of a collective, like, you know, you're, you're all guilty. And I thought a lot of people played into that part, even people who were on the left, not necessarily you, Ben. Because I didn't know you, but I can't see you doing that. But a lot of people did justify it. I mean, even in like the newsroom, I would hear like like negative comments about Muslims and you know who you are are as a group, and you know. And then for the next couple of years, and to this day, whenever there's like you know, and this is what I say about MAGA people, which I find incredibly frustrating. It's like you know, there's people, everybody. I, there's so many people I know who have relatives who support MAGA, but they're not guilty by association. But when there was a bombing halfway across the world, like I'd get journalists in the newsroom and start lecturing me and telling me that you know we, I need to change. You know, we, the Muslims need to stand up and change. And where, why aren't we speaking out and telling you know our fellow Muslims that they can't do this? So I would be blamed for things that happened overseas. So I just thought the Giuliani thing, where it was like people kind of didn't question anything he said. And I'm sure I'm sure some of the things that he did were, you know, you know, he probably behaved appropriately as he would as a politician should. But it was kind of like the beginning of this vilification. I mean, the vilification was already there, but this just kind of codified it Mm -hmm. and in many ways put it into law. I got to say that uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani's downfall uh, happened in part because of the adulation uh, he received because of 9-11. When I think back on my followed his career, uh, he seems to just lost all sense of proportion. Yeah. You know, so much adulation poured on him uh, for the way he um, performed in those first few days uh, after the attack uh, on the World Trade Towers. And then it just went to his head, Romana. Yeah, that's uh, that's and, probably possible. But you would think that you know, let's just ho- hold on to that legacy instead of like tumbling down from like whatever pedestal he was on. But, all right, uh, let's let's push him down that pedestal a little more. <laughs> I find him a really um, uh, loathsome figure right now uh, in American history, and uh, so I got a kick out of this bit, which I I know you've you've heard, but let's just share it. I've been promoting it all day. So okay. I don't know who the dude is that put it together. I don't know the voice <laughs> of the person, but he's a very uh, he, he's a very funny guy in my humble opinion. <laughs> he does a play by play of Rudy Giuliani, one particularly uh, grotesque <laughs> part of the performance. So D, uh, play uh, the clip called Booger. Yo, yo, watch my man's over here. <laughs> yo, takes out the handkerchief, blowing his nose, takes it booger side in, smears his hands all over it, wipes it into his lips, all over his face. Son, he's wiping snot all over his face, smearing his hands into it. Looks like shit, bro. 
and he's gonna f-ing touch the podium. <laughs> yes, the play-by-play. It's all true, folks. Everything that guy said. Yeah, Giuliani did. Romana, it's really hard to take serious Giuliani at this time when he should really be taken serious because what he's espousing is to like a coup. But he did literally did that with the whole country watching. Uh, the, the funny thing is uh, that clip that you just played me, a friend of mine at like 1 a.m., he sent it to me and my younger sister. Um, and I, I woke up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and I'm like, what did he send me at? Like, what did he send us at like one o'clock? And then I just saw my sister's response, like, gross, that's so disgusting. And then, you know, they're laughing about it. And I was like, so then I woke up in the morning and I played it. So I, I did watch that, like right before I came. See, I did the homework even before you assigned it. <laughs> yeah, I signed Ramana so, that. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I watched it this morning and I'm like, oh my God, and it was exact same. It was the same. It was somebody tweeted the exact same guy doing the play by play. And, and, and then, then he took the podium and then his hair color or, his, you know, whatever that touch up dye was dripping down his face and it just couldn't get worse. And that's the funny thing. It's like, everybody knows what the context is, but I think a lot of people in my circle and probably in your circle, all they were doing was sharing pictures of Giuliani's face and the, you know, the dye dripping down and his like, wiping his nose and blowing his nose that's what it was i mean everybody knew the context of it and i have seen like you know about um all the discussion about the votes and how um disrespectful it is to you know the black voters and the suppression and all that stuff so it's like i guess it's comic relief in in the tragic um you know scenario that we're seeing played out in the united states right now yeah well put and by the way just one more time we're in the middle of a pandemic uh, we're going to talk about this and the impact on Thanksgiving. Talk about two countries. This collection of humanity, I have that word in quotes, that uh, Giuliani assembled for his press conference. So he's he's at a, a podium with the microphone and he's surrounded by his supporters and allies, other lawyers. They'll come forward and speak on uh, Trump's behalf, spreading conspiracies, completely unfounded, just polluting the air with all their garbage. <laughs> No one's wearing a mask. Giuliani is blowing his nose in his handkerchief, <laughs> literally wiping his face with the, the handkerchief. Nobody, and then shaking hands, you know? Nope. It's like, how can you take the Republican Party seriously, Romana? I know you have to play it straight because as a journalist, but how can you take them seriously? I know. And you know what? The funny thing is, like, my mom, you know, my mom's become like a big, you know, she watches CNN like almost every day, you know, she's been watching the elections pretty closely. And even my mom like was telling me a few seconds ago, she goes, she goes, all these people who are like in Trump's cabinets and all the people that are speaking out for him, she goes, they all look so slobby and messy. Like she goes, like nobody looks like, you know, dignified. And she told me that she thought Rudy Giuliani, she thought someone had beaten him up when she saw that thing dripping down his face. She goes, she was asking my younger sister, somebody beat, beat him up. And then she goes, I didn't realize his hair dye or whatever it was. And she goes, I just thought he was in a fight or something. So it's pretty funny. Uh, For the record, my wife, who's a a hairdresser has been a hairdresser since the seventies said he's spray on. Yeah. Uh, It's he sprayed something on or whoever passes as his uh, beauty consultant 
and sprayed it on and then it just ran as he was sweating yeah. it's coming yeah down. i mean I, I sent you that i was gonna ask you to send pam that new york times article where they talked to different hairdressers and said it's actually not hair dye but it was probably some sort of touch-up yeah. you know, dye and then or some touch-up material and then he was just sort of sweating profusely um which you know to be fair, if there's lights on you, that could happen. But, um, you know, it went wrong and just dripped down. All right. Let's uh, move on from Giuliani's wretched performance uh, and his attempted coup and talk about an essay. More homework that I sent Romana. Poor Romana. Every Friday I'm sending her <laughs> stuff. But I actually think you had read this one already. A columnist for the New York Times or a contributing writer. I don't know if he's a regular columnist. Yeah, he's, he's a contributor. Mohajad Ali. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. And uh, reach out to Trump supporters. I said I tried. Uh, I <laughs> this gets at um, something that Democrats only Democrats do this. Yeah. Um, so in the aftermath of 2016, when Donald Trump got to be the president, even though he didn't get a majority of the votes, let's think about that for a moment. Uh, Democrats were looking in the mirror and saying, we've done something wrong. We should really try to understand the people who voted for Donald Trump. And uh, Mr. Ali here, I don't know. I don't want to butcher his pronunciation oh, of his okay. first name, uh, but uh, he was one of the. Um, leading advocates of that. And he was going to go out and listen to Trump supporters and support Trump supporters, just uh, hear their concerns. Uh, and then he came back after four years of doing this with the conclusion, that doesn't really work. Your thoughts, well, I thought Ramana. it was pretty interesting that you gave me his column. I do follow Wahajat Ali on Twitter. And I should tell you, he's he's kind of a controversial figure. I shouldn't say controversial, but a lot of... A, on Muslim Twitter, there's a lot of hate against him. They think he's a little too soft. And there's some controversy in the past, but we don't have to get into that. But I still follow him. Um, you know, he, he's sometimes on CNN and, you know, sometimes I like his stuff. Sometimes I think he's a little corny and I've met him before, actually, like maybe four or five years ago, he was speaking at this event that my friends had coordinated. Um, it seems like a nice guy, you know, he had a tragedy happen, like his daughter, young daughter had cancer. So I was following that on Twitter and she's okay. Thank God. So I do follow him. Sometimes I disagree with him and I agree with the hate against him. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, well, he's not that. But I thought this column was interesting. I mean, a lot of people would say, like, why did you even go and talk to these people? They're not going to listen. And so he did try. You have to give him, you know, credit for trying. You know, people are saying that you should reach out across the aisle, right? But there's a lot of people, like, um, a lot of people of color, like, why would I try to understand people whose main ideology is to hate who I am or hate my existence? I've seen a lot of that on Twitter the last couple of days when people are like, well, you know, you should reach out to Trump supporters and people, you know, and they're feeling the same way you felt in 2016. And a lot of people are like, no, thank you. But, you know, Wahajat seemed to reach out and, you know, he speaks at a lot of places. He gives TED Talks and he tried to reach out. He went to all these different places all across the country and tried to talk. And, you know, people came up to him and they said the same things that we've been hearing all along. Like, well, I really don't like Donald Trump. I don't like his, you know, I don't like the way he's speaking, but, you know, he, he he's giving out a strong, you know, he's making the economy strong. And then other people are saying that, um, you know, they, they talk to him. And this is something that's very common for like a lot of Muslim people where they told him that he's one of the good Muslims, you know, after he talked. And, you know, he said that it just didn't work. He didn't really change anybody's minds after talking to them. He was trying to trying to find some commonalities and it, it just didn't seem to click. So I actually did like the column when I read it. I, you know, it, it, it he's like he's here. He is a brown Muslim guy saying that he did reach out and nobody 
it didn't really help. And he's yeah. just saying, there's no point in doing it. And he's like, I don't really want, he goes now at this point, I really don't want to try to understand the architects of, you know, the hatred that or something. It was some sort of like, um, I'm probably paraphrasing, but I remember he used that word. So, well, it's really hard to find some common ground uh, with a MAGA hat wearer who is endorsing the decertification of the vote in Detroit. You know yes. what I'm saying? It's like, yes, th- that's really an extreme point of view. I would have to say, yeah. uh, you know, I have never, I've, I've been voting Democrat my whole life. I don't think I've ever seriously attempted to say, okay, let's just take the reddest district uh, in pick a state, the state of Wisconsin, and just decertify it so the Democrats win, you know? Yeah. Uh, And so it's really hard to find common ground with people who feel as though they can just throw out the Constitution when it uh, suits their need. And I'll say this, Romano, I can't recall, this is such a Democratic thing uh, to try to reach out to the other side. I can't recall, I've been voting Democrat all these years. I don't recall a Republican ever saying, you know, let's reach out to people like Ben and see how they view. Let's reach out to Ramana Hussein and see how she views the world so we can bring her over. What can we say to Ramana and Ben? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, they do reach out to people like me that they're, you know, they reach out to the Muslims like me who say everything they want to hear. That's the kind of people they reach out to. You know, the people who say stuff like, you know, oh, yeah, Muslims should be profiled. I'm part of I'm Muslim and I should be profiled. You know, people kind of like we call them the self-hating Muslims, like, you know, who like just want to say what the right thing is to say. And, and they're and they're they're kind of funded by a lot of these right right wing groups. So, I mean, there is a definite group. We all know who they are. And so, yeah, they, they do reach out in the people who think like them, but they don't try to reach out to people who don't think like them, which is what the Democrats constantly encourage, which doesn't make sense on the other hand, either. Yeah. Uh, All right, let's move on for Donald Trump and talk about the president who was in office before Donald Trump, and that would be Barack Obama. Uh, His book has just come out. It's over 700 pages. I can tell you right now, I probably won't read it. Uh, (laughs) My mother-in-law sent us a group text a few days ago, and Uh she said, I'm just going to give you guys, um, what what word did she use? Um, God, I'm forgetting the term, but she said, "Just just a hint, don't get the book. You know, oh, so that, that means that means she's giving us the book. <laughs> she's gotten ordered all of us some copies. And um, I, I, I don't know if you read the Chicago Tribune review of the book, but yeah. it was pretty interesting. It sounds like it's going to be more like his second book and not his first memoir. Yeah. You know, you know, I don't know if you read Obama's books. So in other words, it's. It'd be not what you're really saying. It's not going to be good. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be more of like, you know, we don't. It's not the red. It's not the red states or the blue states. It's the United States. Yeah. And Mick Dunkey, my husband, um, had heard that um, he talks about racism, but he kind of, he kind of like, he's not like giving excuses for racism, but just saying like why, you know, why racism exists. But it's kind of like a weak. He's he's red. I mean, he's not saying this, but he was just saying that he was it was like a weak, like, you know, not defense, but just like kind of explanation of what racism is. And and I was reading this Tribune review about him and they talk about the whole beer summit. 
Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I was talking to my husband earlier this week and I'm like, why didn't even that, that even have to happen? Like I go through the op other way around and it was a black officer, no black officer would be invited to the white house. And we're talking a little bit about that. and know how Obama had to like step back from a lot of um, connections that he had. And I was just saying, it's just so unfair that he has to do that. And his book. Yeah. It seems like it's more like his second book. It's, it's less, I mean, I was reading some experts excerpts from it, and then you know, of course, I had to chuckle yeah. <laughs> when the when the Tribune uh, re- the Tribune reporter had pointed out that he referred to Rahm Emanuel as dark <laughs> as quote darkly handsome. As yeah. soon as I read that part, I, I I showed it to Mick. I'm like, did you see that? Did he? And then I go, look what he calls your boy. He's more like he's more, he's, he's, he's more like your boy too. So I was like. Uh, no, that was pretty funny. Ramana sent me homework. She sent me that text. Uh, we'll get into Ramana, uh, Ram as darkly handsome. But the beer summit that uh, Ramana is alluding to, I don't know if people remember, uh, Henry Louis Gates, professor at oh, Harvard. Yeah. I should um, explain, yeah. Yeah, was uh, stopped outside his house by a police officer who somehow or other thought that Henry Louis Gates from the Chicago Sun-Times uh, was the person who asked the question to uh, Barack Obama at the press conference. And I, I forget what... Um, Obama said like the guy was acting stupid. Stupidly. Or, he said stupidly, stupidly or something. Yeah. yeah. And Obama said, I read that Lynn Sweet's column about it uh, in his book that it was all pretty much downhill for him after that. Uh, and so he, you know, that notion that you could criticize a police, your ammunition to MAGA, well, was, wasn't MAGA yet, uh, pre-MAGA <laughs> MAGA. Uh, and he said it was all a downhill. And then they had the beer summit. They dragged poor Biden in, make him drink along. You know, hey, we got white guys too. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, that's the thing. It's like, God, Obama just said stupidly, like, look at what Donald Trump has gotten away with on Twitter and saying all different kinds of things. Um, you know, Obama, yeah. wore, uh, Obama wore the dad jeans at your favorite um, ballpark. And that was like, you know, a, a hoot. And then everybody started, you know, making fun of him when he wore his tan suit. I mean, I'm just saying all these things, Obama, got, even the little funny things that he got ripped on for. I mean, just call it saying stupidly or stupid that he acted stupid was like such a huge deal. And now we have this president who was like goes off on Twitter calling different people different names. And, you know, we saw him before he was elected or was it after he was elected when he was making fun of a disabled reporter? Yeah. And, before he was elected. Yeah, yeah. and, and he, he got away with it. He got elected president. Um, by the way, so yeah, here's the quote. Rahm Emanuel is darkly handsome and Vladimir Putin is unremarkable with the wrestler's build. Uh, <laughs> and this writer <laughs> points out that uh, Obama uh, fastidiously avoids such descriptions <laughs> for most of the women who come across the stage. Uh, and there's no truth to the rumor uh, that uh, Ramana Hussein has put out that I am jealous yes. uh, that he didn't call me darkly handsome. Okay, I am jealous. <laughs> he call me lightly handsome or any kind of handsome. I want to be handsome. Too, like Rom and Mick's yeah, really I jealous know. too. Yeah, that's what I said. I go, you guys were just jealous. <laughs> well, he is kind of handsome, Rom. You know, you got to give him nice, good-looking guy. Um, so yeah, I probably won't be reading uh, the book. I'm really struggling, Ramon. If I could use you uh, as my confessor, I'm really struggling with Obama's legacy. I've, every time Obama, I've had an opportunity to vote for Barack Obama. I've voted for him, so I've been very supportive of him. I was moved to tears in '91 for a whole bunch of different reasons. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah, and 
and then it was he named Rom as his chief of staff. It's kind of been all downhill since then. Uh, yeah, I, I just mean, I, yeah. I, I've been yeah. Go ahead. I, I mean, I'm just saying that I've been critical of Obama too. I mean, I I, I have to, I, I'll admit on on air that Obama I like Obama better than Trump. I can say that, but oh, yeah. um, I, I think he's one of those people where it was historical. I mean, I. When he got elected, um, his middle name is Hussein. My last name is Hussein. But, you know, my dad, that was his middle name, too. My dad didn't have a last name. I always joked that he was so poor that my dad didn't have a last name. So that was his middle name, and he made it his last name when he came to the United States. And my dad had passed away for two years when Obama was um, named president. And in Grand Park, when they said, you know, when he took the oath and he said, Barack Hussein Obama, I'm like, God, my dad would never believe this would happen. But, you know, it was emotional in that way. And I understood, like, the African-American and just the emotions. I mean, I can't imagine what it felt like to be a black person, but I understood it. So, but, I, but I've been critical of him too. And I know you were just talking a little bit too. Well, I just, uh, it, I, I'm really struggling with this one. And I, I'm going to have to probably address it uh, sooner or later, but there's a reason. And I don't think you could all be blamed on Barack Obama, but there's a reason we ended up with Trump. And I think that part of it is has to do with the failures of Barack Obama and the Democratic Party under him. He was the leader of the Democratic Party um, to build a lasting coalition. And it, I think it was Obama was a cult, like the cult of Barack Obama, the brand Barack Obama that he's perpetuated ever since. And this book, this 700 page tomb tome is more of the brand of Barack Obama and less about building something that outlasts Barack Obama. Am I being unfair to him, Ramona, or do you sense where I'm coming from? No, I know where you're coming from. I mean, I, I, I've criticized, I've criticized things that, and I was just talking about those with my husband. I mean, there's, there's policies that he had, you know, a lot of people, you know, they'd call him deporter in chief. And I'm like, he did have some immigration. He did have, he did deport a lot of people. And, you know, we do have to look at that. We can't pretend that didn't happen. And, you know, I know there's a lot of droning that, you know, his administration did as well, which I don't necessarily agree with. But, you know, overall, I think he was a more effective president than Trump. But, no, I think it's good to criticize him. I know some of the things I was I was discussing this early in the week at at dinner about how I felt like what I didn't like the fact that he had distanced himself from, you know, his pastor. I I I was telling my husband I understood why he did it, but. I go as a person of color, I felt like he had to reject a lot of things that he had, you know, as a black man that other, you know, other white, you know, politicians don't have to do. And he had to reject part of himself. And then, you know, he had to all kept, kept, you know, talking about, you know, his white mother, which I'm not, you know, she's the one who raised him. She's the one who took care of him. But just to make white people comfortable, it just made me mad that he had to do that. And I blamed him a little, which probably is not fair because this is the only way he was going to get elected. But I felt like, you know, why do you have to do that? Why do you have to play that game? But I guess you have to play that game when you're a politician. Yeah, and it's also reality. I mean, his, yeah, his I mother, know. his mother did raise him, and no, she was did. white. He did raise him. He did raise him, but I just felt like he was he 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 was always told to make white people more comfortable. Like, yeah, he, I, uh, I I I know he I know I I did a column once um, where there was two women, young women in hijab, who came to one of his events, and they were in the front, and yeah. they were asked by the um, by Obama's handlers, they took them and they put them in the back. So you know. 
that, you know, that's kind of disappointing to me as someone who is Muslim. But I'm just saying that, you know, he had to play that game. And I know why. I definitely know why he had to play that game. But it just, I just wish he came out a little stronger on some of that stuff. Yeah, uh, I was always a fan of Reverend Wright, but we'll put that aside. Um, my uh, uh, my Reverend Wright years. Uh, all right, let's uh, move on to Romano's recommendation. I am a little bit of a difference between Ramana and me on this, uh, <laughs> this movie. I gave her a homework assignment and she dutifully followed it. And I appreciate that. I absolutely positively loved, uh, the Sophia Lauren movie that's on Netflix. Is it uh, called the life ahead? The life ahead. The life ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, weeping buckets of tears. <laughs> uh, of course I'm older than, uh, Romana. So I remember Sophia Loren movies from back in the day in the sixties. I was a huge fan of hers. So just watching the great one out there, it's like watching Paul Newman at the end of his career and he's still doing movies. Uh, and, um, I love the I love Paul Newman, but so uh, I urge everybody to watch it. Uh, Romana, you were a little more critical of the movie. Yeah, I thought. Trust me, I thought it was a great movie. The movie, The Life Ahead, is about you know Sophia Loren's son made this film, and it's based in Italy. I think it's based in Rome, from what I could tell, and it's it folk centers on Sophia Loren, who is this former prostitute and uh, Holocaust survivor, and this young um, boy. Um, he's from. African country and his you know I think I you know you know he doesn't have any parents or no caretakers and he's and she kind of takes him under her wing and it just shows a relationship I thought um I thought it was good but there's something lacking about it but I still liked it it was very uplifting and uh poignant and I just just watching it I mean it was filmed beautifully and I just you know I've been to Italy and then I realized how much I miss traveling because I've been watching a lot of you know internationally made uh you know I'm watching I watched uh Call My Agent which you recommended which I I'm now recommending to my friends which is based in Paris and and I'm watching this other Italian series called Zero Zero Zero. So that's also an Italian series. So I'm just realizing how much I miss it. So I thought it was okay. If I'm on a good day, I would call it a three star movie. But if I'm grumpy and like really critical, I'd call it a two and a half star. But I do I do recommend it. And I have to tell people like that was my first Sophia Loren movie. But I know I I mean I knew who she was. You know I probably. I don't know if I've ever seen her in an Italian movie and I, I love, I love foreign films. I just haven't seen her in any movies, but you know, I definitely know who she is. I mean, even my mom, like, you know, my mom was raised in India. She knew who she was and my mom was looking at pictures and she goes, what happened to her? And I'm like, I got my mom. I go, she's 80 something years old. She's not going to look like she did when she was 20 something, but I thought she did a good job. Um, and I thought the young boy and all the children in the movie um, were so cute and they were, they really had a good performance. And they yeah. and they they humanized people from different countries. Like you know, there was definitely it was definitely a commentary on um, immigration and immigrants and refugees. So I did I did like the me- overall message of the film. So yeah, Ben Ben, I, I I'm not mad at you for recommending it to me. <laughs> and, and and Mick watched it with me too. So I'm just that's, letting you know. That's amazing that he sat through that. I can't believe it. <laughs> but my recommendation this um is small small acts or small axes i'm not sure what it is but it's steve mcqueen has a new uh anthology series um he, if everybody knows who steve mcqueen is he's the guy who did 12 years slave i think mm-hmm. he did uh widows too which yes, I, he did oh i i was a little critical of that but um i do like him in general and he this is basically i think a five-part anthology series and they're separate films 
based on the West uh, Indies community in in England. And I heard I heard the first one is like excellent. It's it, it's, it hits Amazon Prime today. But and then I'm also um, awaiting call my agent for season four. I, oh. I did I did like it. I have to say I did like it. I, I can't say enough about Call My Agent, and I'm glad you got a chance to watch it. And I, too, am waiting for season four. And I just always caution people. Um, it's uh, French language with subtitles, and the people talk really fast. So you have to really pay close attention because those subtitles are flying. Yeah. Uh, but I would never want to hear the dubbed in because the no. voices, yeah, the care, the, the their voices are so important. Uh, obviously, when you have the dubbed in, it's ridiculous. After oh, a while, the, the, dubs, the dubs are so bad. I never watch foreign yeah. dubs because they're usually like people who can't really speak the language that well, and it just you just start laughing at it. So it's not. It just totally takes away from the movie. You got to watch movie. I, I don't mind movie with subtitles. And it's funny that you're saying that they talk fast. I talk fast. When I speak English, when I talk with my mom and I speak to her in Urdu, uh, I speak a lot faster and a lot louder. My husband says that I get more animated. So I, I understand the, you know, a different language. And I just thought it was, del- and, I, and I, I did recognize some of the actors that were in some of the latter series, you know, Juliette Binoche and Isabella Johnny. I just realized, how, you know, what I, I always thought, you know, I was like looking at, you know, some of the characters are definitely Middle Eastern and you realize like, Paris is also very, you know, has different people from so many different countries, yes. too. And Isabella Johnny, growing up, I never thought about it. But when I was watching it this time, I was like, God, you know, I bet her, one of her parents is Middle Eastern or Muslim. Absolutely. And, and it turns out her dad, it, dad was Muslim. So, yeah. you know, he was he was from, I think, Algeria or Morocco. So. So uh, just the premise of the show is it's a, a fictitious agency in Paris that represents movie stars, actors, etc. And um, uh, in every episode, a real live French movie star plays him or herself as a, uh, a one of their um, as a client of the agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they have fun with playing themselves as egotists, you know, or with uh, huge egos that are yeah. easily wounded. And yeah. uh, uh, it's just delightful. And, and know, I bet, I bet in people in, I bet people in France, like they get all the inside jokes. Like I was like, after like Ben was probably doing the same thing. Some of the actors I didn't recognize I'd Google them afterwards. And a lot of the, a lot of the characters are playing, they're kind of making fun of themselves and things that they're known for. That one woman that was in the morgue, and they wanted her, there was this one character, this one actress comes in and they wanted her in a scene in a morgue. And they, the director wanted her to be like completely naked and open the body bag. And she's like, why do you have to open the complete body bag? And, you know, there's kind of this back and forth. And then I was just looking up the actress. I don't know why I looked that one up, but it turns out. And then, you know, there was like some commentary on uh, somebody biting off her ear, but she bit off someone's ear in real life. And she did work. She did work in a morgue and would steal things and like you know sell it. So you know there's all these things that like if you followed, I'm sure if if you followed celebrity culture in Paris, you would get some of the jokes. Like some of us had probably went over our heads, except for the people that we recognized. So this, this is Ramana Hussein. Uh, ben Jarofsky are cut from the same cloth. Yeah. When you're a journalist, you're always a journalist. I mean, yes, I did the same exact thing. As soon as each show is over, I go back and look at Wikipedia and I click on uh, and I read about the celebrity, what what he or she did in front. And they were hugely successful. Oh, and it's of course. like the world I don't know. You know what I mean? Like they, 
they're widely known. It'd be like, again, I said this in here. It'd be like not knowing who Brad Pitt is. Of course, you know? yeah, uh, of course. And so absolutely delightful. I'll just, I'll leave you with one last recommendation. I don't know if I did this with you. Dave Chappelle, I saw it twice. Uh, the um, special on Netflix where he gets his award, the Mark Twain Award uh, from the Kennedy Center. I urge everybody to watch that. If, you, if you're into Chappelle, uh, if you're not into Chappelle, don't bother. But he's hilarious. His friends are, John Stewart is in a, you know, Sarah Silverman comes on. I mean, it just, uh, Eddie Murphy, they make appearances on his behalf. That's very funny. I urge you to watch. It's your next homework assignment. Ramon, I know, you, I know. You gave it to me earlier this week, but I didn't have time. But I will, I will check it out. All right, so what, uh, we'll leave you with this. What are you going to be doing for Thanksgiving? So Thanksgiving, unfortunately, I'm not, I mean, I guess it's good. I'm following guidelines. We're not going to get together with my family because with um, all my siblings and the kids, it turns out to be 14 people. And my mom's like, it's better to be safe. So me and my, my brother said that his kids wanted to cook. So what me and my sister and my sisters are going to do and Mick is going to help with is we're all going to cook like a couple of dishes. My older sister said that her kids still wanted turkey. We're still going to have Thanksgiving when hopefully when the numbers go down and we can have some social distant um, party. But for now, we're going to still have turkey and my older sister is going to make turkey and other things. And me and my other sister are going to make sides and we're all going to trade and eat it, eat at home. Yeah. Pass it yeah. out. How about well, you? Uh, just, yeah, be very quiet Thanksgiving. Uh, usually I'd be with my kids, but, uh, uh, what are you going to do? It's a pandemic. Uh, unlike Rudy Giuliani, I take it seriously. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so be quiet Thanksgiving. I'll probably be watching a lot of shows on TV. Yeah. Is one of your um, daughters going to be able to come home? Yes. Okay, good. At least so, you have so one, one your, daughter. Yeah. At least you have one daughter. It um, is sad, but you know, maybe it's better that we be safe and sorry, and then we can have a nice Thanksgiving next year. That is a great sentiment. Uh, I appreciate it. One of the things I'm really thankful for is that uh, for this whole show, every Friday, Ramana Hussein has been my guest. I'm very thankful for that. Ramana, uh, I want you to stay as safe and sound as you possibly be. Give all my love to your family, including your dear husband, uh, who is a great sport. Every Friday, we throw him under the bus and then drive over it. He's a great sport, the great McDumkey. Uh, so you have a great Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll see you. Uh, no, no, we won't see you next week. We work, Maybe we're not going to be weeks. doing two weeks, all right? Well, I hope you and Dennis have a good Thanksgiving, too. All right, thank you very much. That's a great Romana Hussein. Uh, speaking of Dennis, do you got any updates for me? Romana, oh, oh, I miss her every week. I had a recommendation for her. I was going to recommend she watch ALF. <laughs> ALF, okay. Yeah, well, the furry away. little alien guy, you know, lives in the garage. Uh, well, we'll have to give her that recommendation the next time she comes on the show. Two weeks. I got to remember that. All right, I want to thank uh, Ramana Hussain. Great job, as she does always. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Walton, Illinois, without whom the joy possible, as Rahm Emanuel and Ramana Hussain will tell you. Back home at Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. I want an answer. I want an answer. I want an answer. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit, is what I think. If you think we want a fucking fuck you, then who are you going to tell you I'm full of shit? I want an answer. 
I want an answer. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. Nearly a thousand miles.